0: Welcome, everybody, to Bible Study Tonight. Glad you made it out. We're continuing our study through the book of Acts. Tonight we're studying Acts chapter 10. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. We're studying through the book of Acts because we want to relive it. And what I'm realizing is that um, we are reliving it, whether we like it or not. the more I read about um, the culture and the more I read about um, what the early church faced, uh, the more I see our own culture and what we are facing here in the 21st century. So we're reliving this. And what's amazing is we have the same Holy Spirit power that they did, we have the same gifts of the Holy Spirit that they did, and uh, we have the same church, the church triumphant. And we are members of that church. So we have all the advantages and we just need to hold strong and we need to keep the faith. And the Lord will do a mighty work in and through us in our day. It won't always be easy, but we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Let's read the summary on our handout and then we'll go verse by verse through chapter 10. So, chapter 10 tells the story of Cornelius. He was a centurion in the Italian regiment. He was a devout man that feared God. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. One day, though, Cornelius had a vision in which an angel of God told him to send for the Apostle Peter, who just so happened to be nearby. Cornelius sent his messengers to Joppa to find Peter. Meanwhile, Peter had a vision in which he was told not to call anything impure that God has made clean. When Cornelius' messengers finally arrived, Peter went with them to his house and preached the gospel to Cornelius and his entire household. As a result, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they were baptized This event marked a significant moment in the early church as it showed that the gospel was not just for Jews but for all people, including Gentiles, like Cornelius. So that's a summary of uh, this entire chapter. Now let's take a few moments to go verse by verse through this chapter. Let's read verse 1 to 8 together and we'll make some comments along the way. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day... He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God that came to him and said, Cornelius. And he stared at the angel in terror and said, what is it, Lord? Uh, That reminds me of Saul's response to the messenger that came to him. He asked the very same question. Well, he's, Asked a similar question. He said, Here I am, Lord. And Cornelius said, What is it, Lord? And the messenger said, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And he said, oh, Yeah, and now send men to Joppa and bring one, Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one named Simon, who is a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, Cornelius is a soldier in uh, the Roman military. The Bible calls him a deeply religious man, devout God fearing, generous, and a man that prayed a lot. But with all these good marks to his credit, he's still not saved. Because these works will not make him a Christian. These works will not make us a Christian. Do Christians do these things? Absolutely they do. Christians are religious. They're devout. They're God-fearing. They're generous. They pray. But those things don't save. And so even though he did these things, the Lord said uh, for him to send for Peter. Because Cornelius and his house, as righteous and devout as they were, they needed to hear the gospel. They needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which Paul says in Romans chapter 1, is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, first to the Jew and then what? To the Gentile. And so this is what's happening here. The Jews in Jerusalem started with the gospel, started with salvation, and it's going out from there, Jesus Gave them that commission, right? Uh, Start in Jerusalem, then go into all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Bring it everywhere. Bring it to everyone. And so here we see where in the world the gospel is going. In the gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see where in the world Jesus is. And in the book of Acts, we see where in the world the gospel is going, and it's going to the ends of the earth. Let's read verse 9 to 22. So we're in the meantime here. So we're going to take a pause in the Cornelius story to to figure out what's going on with Peter. So the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance And he saw the heavens opened up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. So look at the reactions. Saul of Tarsus, Here I am, Lord, Cornelius of Caesarea. What is it, Lord? Peter, by no means, Lord. It's interesting, and I get it, because we've all been like Peter. We've all argued with God. We've all pretended like we know better than God. I just find it interesting that he calls him Lord, but he does not obey what he says, or at least he doesn't want to obey what he says. Rise, Peter, kill, and eat by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that was common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Peter has this, uh, this habit of doing things three times. He denied Jesus three times. He was restored by Jesus three times, asked by him, Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. And then here he has what seems to be this argument with the Lord three times about rise, kill, and eat, certainly not. And so then after this happened three times, the sheet was taken up. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what uh, the vision that he had seen might mean, suddenly the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out, to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so he invited them in to be his guests. Why did Peter have this vision? Well, it was preparatory. The Holy Spirit was preparing Peter for his missionary journey. Now, we know that Saul of Tarsus, who is going to become Paul shortly, is going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. But until he's ready, until he's prepared, uh, the other apostles are going to have to at least start getting the word to these Gentiles. And so Peter is going to start, and he's being prepared here uh, by this angel of the Lord, this messenger... Uh, for such a missionary journey. In prayer on the housetop, he becomes hungry and he's placed in a trance. And we just read it. Uh, The the sheet comes down from heaven with all kinds of living things on it, creepy, crawly things. And Peter's instructed to uh, eat it. He calls the Holy Spirit Lord, but he contradicts his address by refusing to eat. I'd already mentioned that. What's interesting is that he'd likely never eaten anything unclean. So just think about that for a moment. I mean, as much as we like to uh, tease Peter a little bit for calling the Holy Spirit Lord and then refusing to do what he says and things like that, he really likely had never eaten anything unclean up until this point in his life. So just imagine if there was something in your life that you had always abstained from, that all of a sudden you're now being told not only you can do it, but you're being commanded to do it. I think we'd have a similar reaction. Peter wonders about the dream, he's pondering it, he's perplexed, and then he hears a knock at the door. And it's the messengers from this Gentile Cornelius' house And they explain their mission and the Holy Spirit tells Peter to go with them. Now one thing I wanted to mention about Cornelius before we go back to him is uh, what his servants say about him. So if you go to verse 22 and they said Cornelius a centurion an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. We know that what Peter was going to have to say was the gospel. But it's, again, interesting that somebody can be referred to in such uh, positive and um, godly ways and still need to hear the gospel, Now, whenever we hear about somebody fearing God, particularly a Gentile fearing God, the term usually indicates that somebody was either fully or partially converted to Judaism. A Gentile who worships the one true God, but who is not, for example, circumcised or who does not submit to the ceremonial distinctives of the Jewish religion, like the kosher diet or Jewish Jewish festivals and things like that. And so I can imagine that was Cornelius. I can imagine he was not circumcised. I can imagine that he did not have a kosher diet, because remember, Peter's getting prepared to go to his house where he's likely going to be fed things that aren't kosher. He's going to be fed things he's never eaten before. And so this this Cornelius is certainly a God-fearing person. He's, He's upright, he's kind, he's generous, but he still needs the gospel. He still needs to be saved. One thing that my study Bible says is that Gentiles who feared God were drawn to Israel's, listen, monotheistic faith and the laws and ethical norms, but they did not submit to the covenant of Moses. So why do I point that out? Well, I think there's a lot of people in our world today who admire Christianity and admire our laws and ethical norms, and they appreciate what we stand for, and they... uh, they're sympathetic to, to us. Um, and that's all well and good, but that's not going to save them. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that can save. And I know for me, and, and I guess I'm, I'm saying this because I'm, I'm convincing myself, I know for me, whenever I talk to somebody who's sympathetic to the church and to Christianity and to, to what we stand for, especially in this day and age. I, I want to commend them and I, and I want to thank them for their support, but I, I got to make sure that I give them an opportunity to accept Jesus as well and that they don't go away thinking that just because they're adjacent to the church or to Christianity, because maybe we're both on the right side of the political aisle that that they think, well, I guess I'm okay because I'm just like them. And the answer is, the only way you're getting like me or like us is if you submit to Jesus and you call upon him and you believe um, or you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart to be truly saved. And I think that's what we're seeing here with Cornelius. I think it might be tempting for Peter to show up there in uh, in a few days and say, "Oh, you're good, you're doing all the right things," but again, salvation is not about doing. We don't we don't do any of these things for salvation. We don't um, we don't fear God for salvation. We we fear Him from salvation. We don't give for salvation. We we give from salvation. So just something to, uh, to ponder there. Let's continue. Starting at verse 23. The next day he, Peter, rose and went with them, the people from Cornelius' house, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and He had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up and said, stand up. I too am just a man. So you can see how Cornelius was God-fearing, but he didn't quite understand everything because he fell down at Peter's feet and worshipped him. So that's why he needs to hear what Peter has to say. Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I am just a man. Verse 27. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why have you sent for me? So remember, Peter had a vision. He was perplexed by the vision. He didn't quite understand it. And the interpretation or the understanding came later. And I'm sure that's been your experience as well, if you've ever seen something. You know it's significant. You know it's meaningful. You might not know why right away, but eventually you will. And so here Peter finally clues in why he had this vision. Because not only was it about food, it was about people. It wasn't just about what you put in your mouth, but it was about who you associate with and, and who you reached, reach out to with this gospel. That it wasn't just for the Jews. It started with them. They had the honor of receiving it first, but it wasn't just for them. It was for all people. God predestined a family from every tribe, nation, and tongue. It was going to start with the Jewish people, but it was never going to just be for them. It was always going to be for absolutely everyone. And so Peter asked him the question, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Aren't you glad that God hears our prayer? He even hears the prayer of the unbeliever, the unrepentant, especially when they Call on him for salvation, which I can imagine Cornelius was. I mean, you can only be a God fearing person so long before you come to that decision moment where you have to say, Am I in or am I out? Am I going to go for this or am I going to leave it all behind? I'm sure that Cornelius, as a Roman centurion, was feeling the pressure that the empire was under and the pressure that this new sect of Judaism called Christians was causing and the fracture that was happening in the, uh, in the culture because of this radical uh, group of people who were living a new way named after this Jesus that the Romans crucified on a cross. And then they lost track of his body. At least that's how I'm sure they thought of it. We know that he, of course, was raised Resurrected, stone was rolled away, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So Cornelius is telling him about the dream and about the messenger and that his prayer was answered, picking up verse 32. Uh, the messenger said, send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. And so I sent for you at once, and you have been very kind to come to me. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord to say. Peter reluctantly enters the home of Cornelius. He doesn't permit him to bow before him, saying that he's just a man. And then now we're going to read Peter's sermon. He's been preaching gospel sermons for several months now, maybe even going on years or close to it by Acts chapter 10, and so he's getting really good at this gospel message, this gospel preaching, and so we're going to hear yet another gospel sermon here now from Peter to this Gentile household you'll notice that it's going to sound slightly different than his messages to other or fellow Jews, although it's going to also have a a ring of familiarity to it as well, because the gospel is the gospel, no matter who's hearing it, which is why we may need to make some slight adjustments to what we say, depending on who we're talking to, but we can never adjust the message to suit the culture or to suit the audience. The message must be the same. But how we get to that message can vary depending on who we're talking to. And I think we'll, we'll pick up on that here. As we're reading through it, think about, if you can, uh, some of the similarities to his message on the day of Pentecost... And then also some of the differences from his message on the day of Pentecost. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I say, or sorry, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that was sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went out doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we were witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem." They put him to death, hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, because we have time, I think we should go back to Acts chapter 2 and just skim through, at least, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Here, he's not preaching to God-fearing Gentiles. He's, he's preaching to devout Jews from every nation under heaven. So people who fully converted to Judaism. Not, not every one of them was a national Israelite. Uh, when, you, when you read the list of people that were there, not all of those places are, uh, are Jewish places, but within them were full proselytes of Judaism, who not just accepted the God of Israel, but accepted the covenant of the God of Israel. And so uh, let's pick up Acts chapter 2, verse 9. Here's the list of the people that were there. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and what? What? proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians. So they were all there. People from every tribe, nation, and tongue were there, but they were all devout Jews, full proselytes. Cornelius was not. Cornelius was like Jewish Jewish adjacent. He was sympathetic, and he believed in the God of Israel, but he didn't fully convert. So let's just take a moment and skim through Peter's Message on the day of Pentecost and just contrast it with what he preached to Cornelius. Peter, standing up, lifted his voice here, verse 14, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And so then he quotes the prophet, Now he begins to preach, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of foreknowledge of God, you crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men. A little bit more accusatory to these Jews. Uh, Here, in Cornelius' in Cornelius's house, he refers to uh, Jesus as being from Nazareth. He refers to the things that he did. He says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. So referring to his miracles. But then he, he brings this accusation. You killed him by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And he quotes more scripture. Then he goes back Brothers, I may say with all confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would uh, set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of Jesus Christ who was not abandoned to the place of the dead, nor did his flesh see corruption, this Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. So again, uh, at Cornelius' house, Peter talks about being witnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus. But uh, he has more of a Jewish tone to it when he's quoting King David and, and he's quoting the promise that God made to David that the would always be a descendant on his throne. And then here's the invitation, verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. And when they heard this, so the, the Jewish people and the full proselytes, when they heard this gospel, they were cut to the heart And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? And then the the prescription was written. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here we have Peter giving his prescription at the end of, um, near the end of his sermon in Acts chapter 10. Where are we at? Verse 42. And he commands us to preach to all the people to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So one, one comparison I want to make there, one thing I want to point out. Um, where is it? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He makes a promise here to the Jews and to the proselytes. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't, at least the, the, the account of Dr. Luke, his recording of Peter's message, he doesn't say that Peter said that, but it happened anyway. I don't know why Peter didn't say it to him, to the people at Cornelius' house. I don't know if he thought, well, maybe, maybe the salvation is for them, but maybe not the Holy Spirit. I mean, that might just be for the Jews and the, the proselytes not these Gentiles. The only, the only reason I make that speculation is because Peter, Peter continues to have a hard time with Gentiles being saved. And we'll read about that um, in the chapters to come. I mean, he has this really clear vision, and he, he gets the understanding or the interpretation of it, saying that I can't call any food or any people common or unclean that God calls clean. But he still wrestles with it. And so I just wonder, I I just speculate, I wonder if he, he doesn't tell them that they'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit on purpose. But either way, they get it. They get the gift of the Holy Spirit. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit, verse 44, fell on all who heard the word. I'm I'm led to believe that if the Holy Spirit falls on all who heard the word, he fell on them because they believed the word they heard. Verse 45, and and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Okay, just think about that. The Bible doesn't say anything that, that it doesn't need to say or doesn't want us to know. So here's a detail that we can quickly look over. Remember, when Peter left Simon the Tanner's house, some of the circumcised, where's the verse here? Some of the circumcised left and went back with him. Or the brothers, I guess. Yeah, it's verse 23 of chapter 10. The next day he arose and went with Cornelius' messengers, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied Peter. So some of the some of the devout Jews that were in Joppa went with Peter. And so they're referred to again here now. And the believers from among the circumcised. So they weren't circumcised at Cornelius's house because he wasn't a full proselyte. And so it was the believers from among the circumcised who came with Peter from Joppa who were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. There's that word we talked about Sunday night. Extol, to lavishly praise. They were speaking in tongues. They were lavishly praising God and then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he's still making distinction, right? And, and I get it. But I, I just wonder, again, if he thought maybe the Holy Spirit was just for them and not for everyone But he sees that it's for everyone. He sees a sign gift. He sees them speaking in tongues. And they know what they're saying because they know that they're extolling God. And not just talking gibberish or something. They're they're actually speaking in tongues like they did back in Acts chapter 2. They spoke in other languages. And they knew that they were extolling God in that language. And so Peter says, all right, then. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? In other words, I guess we should baptize them too. I guess there's no reason not to. The Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, what prevents me? And now Peter is asking the others, should we prevent them? Is anyone going to withhold water from them to be baptized? And listen, I get it. This is all brand new. This is first time stuff. They're blazing the trail here. So I get get why they're proceeding with caution and I appreciate it. But it's just interesting that we still do the same kind of thing today as Christians. We we wonder who should be baptized and who shouldn't and who's good enough to do this and that in church and things of that nature. And I get it. We need a standard. Not, anybody, not just anybody can do anything. But this salvation and this Holy Spirit is for absolutely everyone. No ifs, ands, or buts. And from the moment a person truly believes and is baptized in the Spirit, They have the ability to extol God and to become a person that fulfills the Great Commission by preaching the gospel and making disciples. It might not be on a platform, it might not be on a grand stage, it might be in their home, it might be among their friend group or their children. But everyone who truly believes and is born again and who receives the Holy Spirit is ready from that moment to participate with Jesus in fulfilling the Great Commission. And so he said, can anyone withhold water? And the answer comes back, no. And so verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. I like verse 48. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we're having a water baptism service on, on Sunday or on Easter Sunday. And, you know, we put out the invitation if anyone would like to. Well, you know what? The, the book of Acts sets the precedent. And that is the apostle commands them, get baptized. And I just think it's interesting. They're so zealous to keep that great commission, which is to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name, commanding them to observe all that I, or teaching them, rather, to observe all that I have commanded. And what did Jesus command? To love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to be baptized in water, and to remember the Lord's table. And so, that's what they did. They devoted themselves to it. Acts chapter 2, 42 tells us. They devoted themselves to the apostles, apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And we would do well to do the same, and we are, of course, striving to do the same. To get back to the basics, to do the first things, Let's read the final commentary there and then we'll conclude. And if you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear them. Verse 44 to 48 there on our handout. This has been labeled the Gentile Pentecost. This um, sermon and this outpouring at Cornelius' house. Peter's astonished that Gentiles too have the Holy Spirit poured out upon them. It's made audible by their speaking in tongues. The tongues were more of an evidence to Peter and the apostles that God would save Gentiles than the Gentiles were in Cornelius' house, baptized in water. Let's read those cross-references there. The tongues were an evidence to Peter and the other other brothers that came from Joppa that the uh, apostles, that um, that God would save Gentiles. So remember, the gift of tongues in Acts chapter... No, sorry, not Acts. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the gift of tongues is a sign gift. Okay? It was a sign gift in Acts chapter 2 so that all the righteous um, people that were in Jerusalem to celebrate the, the Jewish feast of Pentecost could hear the works and wonders of God in their own language and bring it back to their home country. That's why they said, how is it that we can hear these uneducated Jews speaking our own language and dialect? And so they hear the works and wonders of God in their native tongue and they bring it back. And so here, the gift of tongues is a sign to uh, these believers that, yeah, the Holy Spirit is indeed for everyone, and that God is saving Gentiles as well. Oh, that's 18 verses there. If you want, uh, skip ahead to Acts 11, 1 to 18. um, Talks about Peter's report before the church, and uh, Peter talks about his uh, vision and how God is saving the Gentiles. We're going to get into it next week, so we won't read it now. But then uh, let's skip over to chapter 15 and just read those four verses about God saving Gentiles. So chapter 15, 7 to 11. Let's go to verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So he's referring back now to what happened at Cornelius' house. This is some time later. I'd like to, uh, and I'll do this for us next week, I'm going to get the timeline out and see where we are, see how many years past the day of Pentecost we are by by the time we're in Acts chapter 11, if it's months or years. But now now by chapter 15, I know we're definitely into years after the day of Pentecost. And so this debate still goes on. Is, Is God saving Gentiles? Is this gospel for them? And so that's why these apostles and elders were gathered together. And Peter refers back to his experience at Cornelius' house, and he says, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and made no distinction between them and us, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. And so again, um, the gospel is already gone to some Gentiles. In the the previous chapters, uh, we read about uh, the Saul of Tarsus, who is not a Gentile, but he was converted, and he was told that he would go to the Gentiles, he would stand before Jew and Gentile and kings and and give testimony to jesus and then shortly after that, Philip finds this Ethiopian eunuch who 's reading the the scroll of Isaiah, and this eunuch is converted and then. Of course, we read how the gospel makes it over to Caesarea, to Cornelius's house, that the gospel is for everyone, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And I'm so glad it reached to the ends of the earth because I'm a beneficiary of that.